Hello. The next step along the famed route map out of lockdown has taken place, and with it, amongst others, non-essential retail business, hairdressers and gyms are all again reconnecting with their markets, as are elements of the hospitality sector too. There's still a long way to go, but the UK economy is on the move, and so too is this month's edition of All Things Business, the podcast. After the last two months of marking business excellence in competition, this month we're back to our more established format, and we're focusing on the retail side of the domestic economy. I'm John Griff, and at last I've been able to get back out on the road talking to people who know retail, help others in retail, are themselves in retail, or advise in retail areas across Bedfordshire, Northamptonshire, or Milton Keynes. In this month's edition, Elaine Harris has been telling me about a new product which helps people to get a good night's sleep. We are not scientists and we are not sitting here and, and are saying mobile phones are dangerous in any way, shape or form. But what we will say is that our mobile phone charger has a radiation shield that will deflect the rays while you're sleeping. Natasha Heron is an expert on stamp duty and can help people who might be moving their business into new premises. I think a lot of them are probably going to be converted to residential space. People are seeing that they're spending so much on office space and on rates and on utilities. And if they don't have to, and if people are happy to work at home, then they can save a lot of money. Mark Mullen manages Northampton Town Centre's Business Improvement District. I think from a consumer's point of view, um, there is a a pent-up desire to get out to spend, um, to go back to habits that were were in place previously. And after a career developing multi-million pound retail business in a variety of companies, Richard Adams is now sharing his expertise by turning himself into an emerging startup consultancy business relationships and authenticity take time to to, to build. I've worked incredibly hard in an office environment, not being out, and as a sales director, I love being out with with the sales guys and, and, and businesses, but it's allowed me to really hone what it is I offer and what it is I don't offer. Fascinating stories from fascinating people. This is April's edition of All Things Business, the podcast. We begin with the first of two startup businesses. Richard Adams believes in sales through a solidly founded relationship. He has a track record as a sales director for developing a variety of multi-million pound businesses, and not all were performing to that level when he joined them. Now he's doing his own thing, having towards the end of last year gone out on his own as Sharpstone Consulting. So why go that route? It's a question that I put to him when I visited his home recently for a socially distanced chat. Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think for me... I've spent the last 15 years as a sales director within large corporate organisations and having exited a business in July last year um, following selling it, I wanted to, or I was looking at how and what my purpose would be going forward. Sharpstone I established in October last year and I wanted a business that was more than just a consultancy. That's really, really important to me. Having employed consultants for many years, I didn't want to be employed as somebody who commentated from the pitch or from the side of the pitch. I wanted to be involved in businesses to help them grow. And I set up Sharpstone primarily with three key pillars. Um, And as a sales director, I know that growing a business is far more than just a sales process. And I see lots of consultants out there that focus on sales process, that focus on tackling the sales activity, tackling the sales teams. And and actually, that can be really, really detrimental to businesses. 
Um, as a sales director, I needed to make sure my strategy to go to market was absolutely correct. I needed to make sure that my people were the right people in the business. And I needed to serve my customers in the right way, retain the ones that were profitable, work with the ones that weren't to make sure they are profitable, and also go to market and bring the right customers into the business as well. And I saw a, a, a real gap in the market where I felt with my experience, I could work with companies to take the strategy, the people and the customers, and really look at a three-dimensional approach to growing businesses rather than just having a look at the sales team. Relationships and authenticity take time to, to, to build. I've worked incredibly hard in an office environment, not being out. And as a sales director, I love being out with, with the sales guys and, and, and businesses, but it's allowed me to really hone what it is I offer and what it is I don't offer. Um, and I think that's just as important. It's ever so easy when you're talking to clients. Can you do this? Can you mm. do that? And mm. actually, you know, that first foray on your own, you think, oh, I can do this. I can do that. But actually, look, I, I, everything that I preach to everybody that I've ever spoken to is the most impressive growth that I've ever got in any business is because of clarity of thought. Talking to people about sales there are any number of old hoary phrases that you can use, like people by people. Do those age-old sage-like phrases still stand up today? If you are looking at transactional sales, you can probably do it very, very easily without people. So if you're looking at web-based sales and it's transactional, if you are a business that is looking to grow through repeat business, if you are looking at a business that is looking to create share of wallet, so I'm talking about service business and product businesses, not typically retail where you tap in and tap out. I'm talking about businesses that have a service or a product that people will buy for the long term. And therefore, it's about understanding how you develop those relationships to one get a share of wallet to start with, but then increase that share of wallet, grow and, and grow with the business profitably mm. for mutual benefit. Let's be absolutely clear. You know, the client needs to needs a need and, and, and as a business, you need to be able to fulfill that need. It's about reading a relationship. So people still buy people first. Absolutely. And always will. And always will. I take your point about traditional tap-in, tap-out type business. I think perhaps for a long time in shops, in stores, there haven't been necessarily sales people. There might have been people that would direct you to a certain aisle so you can go and find the product. But these days, the product tends to sell itself. There's also a lot more uh, awareness about products because they've either been marketed through social media or through uh, television advertising, magazine advertising, whatever it might be. Nevertheless, there is still room for salespeople. The route to market, though, may well have changed. I've seen you doing webinars. You are selling yourself via your expertise, but you're doing it via Zoom. You're doing it one step removed from the general public. That's a different route to market. And that applies to primary, secondary, tertiary kinds of businesses. Yeah. Do you see that with that change in the market that we've seen in the last 12, 15 months, is that going to continue? Or will we go back to traditional routes, traditional methods? Or is it going to be a hybrid? Uh, I, I think it will be a hybrid. I think um, what technology has taught us in the last uh, 18 months or 12, 13 months is huge. Um, 
I'll give give you another example. You know, the business I was in before we were running a sales force of 40, 50 people. And when we were growing that sales force in a huge way, I would think nothing of jumping on a train to Leeds or Edinburgh or a plane to Edinburgh to do screening interviews. Um, And actually now looking at that, the whole reason for me looking at, uh, at Zoom now is I'd probably do screening interviews in Zoom and get to a point where these people are the people I want to see and then mm. go and see them personally. Mm. I think we've got to keep ourselves relevant. I think we've got to move with the times. And I think a multifaceted approach is the way businesses will work going forward. You see, even in retail, if you look at retail, and I know I'm I'm a you know, you've got great marketing campaigns, you've got great advertising campaigns, whether that be on television, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got the savvy buyer. Um, the savvy buyer has Google now, has Amazon, has all sorts of mechanisms to go and have a look at what it is before they purchase. So buyers have got better at researching what they're looking for. So does that mean that businesses, service providers, do they have to be one step ahead by being every bit as good at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of the social media platforms and traditional business and traditional routes as well? Because if so, there's going to be some upskilling required. There's going to be huge upskilling required. And I look at myself. I am the traditional sales director that works with people. And it's a it's a relationship environment and i think in the last five years we've seen social media take off and it's quite interesting having sat on boards over the last sort of five years the communication that we've had around social media has been one of fear it's not been one of embracing it's been of we can't we can't talk about facebook or instagram instagram etc etc but i think what the last year has meant to everybody in this environment is it's incredibly important that you have that kind of profile. That's Richard Adams of Sharpstone Consulting. Next month, there'll be more from Richard when, amongst other things, we'll discuss the art of communication and the training needs of future sales forces. Lots of businesses are now looking at how and where they're going to be working from in future years. Working from home through the pandemic has, of course, created operational pressures, but it's also provided opportunities. And right now, some of those are being underlined through Her Majesty's Revenue and the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Natasha Herrin is a taxation expert for Hillier Hopkins Accountants. Normally based in the firm's Pall Mall office, she has a specialism for stamp duty. The company's also represented in Milton Keynes and in Watford. I asked her if her caseload had been busy or quiet of late. It's actually been very busy uh, because in, I think it was in the spring budget last year, the Chancellor brought in the SDLT holiday, which meant that everyone has gone out and gone crazy and has bought property or if they were looking to invest, they then bought a couple of um, buildings that are on their list to buy because they're generating savings and they need to think of some way to maybe generate some more income in the future especially Mm -hmm. if they've lost like a certain sales revenue or a sector so it's actually been very busy on the property front and construction only really stalled for about three months and then 
I think in the first lockdown and then it's taken off again. So So would you say that the greater part of that has been Mm. brought about by what Rishi Sunak said in the House of Commons or because people have been perhaps forced into a way of looking at the way in which they run their businesses in a way that they haven't done for a long time because they've been busy doing the business of the business? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think everyone's now taking a step back. They're now back at home, so they're able to maybe look at what they've been doing in their office. Can they work from home? I mean, especially us at Hillier Hopkins, we were never really supposed to work from home. I think we had one day a month. And now I think we're going to go to maybe a 3-2 split. So I think a lot of people are actually realising you can do a lot at home. And then they're just then finding a workspace that actually works for them. And that's going to be a significant thing. If we take Hillier Hopkins as an example, we're Mm. sitting in an enormous great corporate building right now. You can hear the echo in this Mm. room and the room could be four or five times bigger than it actually Mm. is. Does that mean operationally Hillier Hopkins is itself looking at maybe downsizing premises, but still holding on to experts like yourself so that you in turn can, can advise others? I think so. I mean, I think a lot of people are locked into a few leases that they probably can't get out of for a while. But I think a lot of people will be looking at maybe doing hot desking or shared workspaces, probably not developing new office buildings. I think everyone's realised we can work from home. We can do it. So does that mean that having large corporate spaces, um, the investment value in having a property like that, has been completely eroded. I, I noticed quite a lot of to-let signs in, yeah. in the street here as I was driving down to meet you. That's always been the case, but I think that's going to accelerate, particularly now in the corporate buildings mm-hmm. rather than the retail buildings. Yeah, I think a lot of them are probably going to be converted to residential space. I think um, we're probably going to see, I don't know what's going to happen with Canary Wharf. I think the uh, banks and the finance institutions are probably going to go back. Mm. But I think a lot of the areas where people are seeing that they're spending so much on office space and on rates and on utilities. And if they don't have to and if people are happy to work at home, then they can save a lot of money. That means that they need expert advice, though. I mean, of course, <laughs> there are the, the professionals who are out there to assist, whether it be solicitors, whether it be land agents, be it estate agents, be it accountants. How well gend up are people in terms of how they can make the most of the premises that they've either got or make the most of the premises that they might like to have if they're downsizing, for instance? Um, generally, people are quite clued up. They I think most people know the key buzzwords and know have a general idea of what they need to do or what they need to ask. But then there are a lot of areas where people have never heard about it because it's not in the media. It's not a top like a headline. Mm. It's um, maybe it's quite something that they haven't um, come across before if they're in a new industry. So there's quite a lot of taxes where people are really clued up. But then there's a few where lots of savings can be had, but a lot of people aren't aware. I suppose a lot of people will think in terms of capital gains tax, they'll Mm -hmm. think of uh, different kinds of direct as opposed to indirect taxes. What are the opportunities that exist for people to to maximise either the gains that can be made from the premises they've already got or minimise their exposure to stamp duty? Most of the reliefs that are available are for residential properties. The main ones that we see are, say, if there is an annex um, on the ground floor for maybe an elderly parent or an au pair, or perhaps um, an outbuilding um, in the garden that's been converted to a home office. Mm -hmm. So sometimes those can qualify for certain reliefs and they can substantially reduce someone's liability because they can almost cut it in half. 
And it doesn't matter on the size of the annex or the outbuilding. It doesn't matter on its value. It's just treated um, as if you're buying two separate properties of equal price. So if somebody's got, let's say, a an, an outbuilding that has been turned into an office, mm-hmm. on the deeds to the property, I suppose it might well have been a four-bedroomed house with an outbuilding. Now it's a four-bedroomed house with a home office. How does that change things for the owner of the property or a potential purchaser of that property? Yeah, stamp duty land tax is kind of its... It's in its own little bubble. So you would think that everything would tie in together, that you would need planning permission, you'd need to check that um, the council are aware of the annex. But stamp duty, yes, you do need to do all of those things, but it doesn't affect the stamp duty classification. So it's quite a bizarre little tax, but it gives you such, such substantial savings. And... It can really help someone that is buying a house because you don't usually um, get a loan for your SDLT. You have to have the cash ready to go. Mm-hmm. But if you can save, say, 80, 70 to 80,000 pounds just by identifying that you have an annex, that could be your whole new property renovation. And then the same on the flip side for the seller. If you identify and you talk to your estate agent, you talk to your accountant or an expert, and they identify that you have a way to... Um, help the buyer make a saving then you can ask for a higher price so it's all about identifying and talking to the right people at the right time at the earliest stage so at what point should somebody be bringing an expert like yourself in is it right at the start of considering a property move either out or in It's always best to um, talk to experts at the very beginning, but we all know that that's not really realistic or practical most of the time. Everyone usually gets involved when someone flags up when there's been an issue or an item that needs clarifying. Yes, it's great if we can be at the beginning, but um, we've got involved after the purchase has already happened. You have certain time limits to make amendments or to make claims. So it's not, all is not lost, but if you're like, I don't know, six years down the line, you've probably lost out. But if you're only, say, a few months um, down the line, there's always things that we can do to help. But that is the point. You can claw back time effectively and you can still make the gains or or reduce your exposure to SDLT. Yes, you have to make claims to HMRC and they are slightly uh, slower opening their posts. So it's Mm -hmm. always best to get everything done before the purchase happens. But we can make um, we can make relevant claims and you can get a refund, albeit it may take a few more months than you'd like it to. The government's holiday you were mentioning earlier on comes mm-hmm. to an end in September. Do you anticipate that being replaced by something? Do you uh, anticipate HMRC suddenly having something of a, of a tax grab because the nation has, of course, now a massive deficit when it comes to the, what the pandemic has cost? Do you, do you see things getting tougher for property speculators in the back end of this year and into 2022? I think it will get more difficult because all of the properties that have been put on the market, everyone's going to rush to get those completed. Ideally, in the best rate, the the full holiday rates are towards the end of June, and then there's um, it kind of tapers down towards the end of September. Mm -hmm. I think from the first of October, property market's probably going to slow for a while because everyone's going to think that they're spending too much on a property, even though we were technically given a discount for the holiday um so i think it'll take a little while for people to get used to the normal rates again it's going to seem awfully expensive but i don't think that the government are going to put something in place permanently natasha lovely to talk to you thank you thank you that's natasha heron and if you'd like to speak to her you can do so on her direct dial number it's 01923 634 460
Does your business need to be seen, be heard, or be found? Now, more than ever, companies need to make it clear that they are open for business. All Things Management is a team of creatives who connect their clients to their audience. To find out more, visit allthingsmanagement.co.uk. Be seen, be heard, be found. Next, we turn our attention to an entire town centre. In the last few days and after an open and shut year of interruptions to trade, non-essential retail has at long last begun to return. Mark Mullen is Operations Manager for the Northampton Business Improvement District. And when we arranged our socially distanced chat for All Things Business, the podcast, I was expecting a pretty corporate office somewhere. It's not quite what I got, though. This is not a cathedral, although you would be hard-pressed to imagine that it wasn't from the nearly three-second echo of a very harsh, very box-like retail unit in Northampton Town Centre and the Grosvenor Centre Shopping Centre. It's part of the Northampton bid. Mark Mullen is the manager of all of that. You're slap bang in the centre of the county town and so many towns across the UK over the last 12 months have effectively become ghost towns. How long do you think it is going to take for the general public to get back into what might be recognised as normality, given that a new normality now exists? In other words, retail online. That's potentially a really difficult question to answer. Based on what we've seen at previous opportunities to reopen, mm. we've seen footfall figures double, um, if not quadruple, um, the, the given same points in time in previous years. Um, and hopefully we, we will see a, a replication of that. What is really hard to see is exactly what will happen until it, it actually materialises. Money is going to be very tight uh, for some time to come. Do you perceive that it's going to take some time for things to get back to normal? And if so, what additional support is necessary? Last year, there were calls for business rates to be either reduced or done away with altogether before very much longer the ongoing issue of car parking is going to return because the cost of that is going to go up. Council tax has gone up and will continue to go up. Is there a danger that business, retail business that is, is going to be squeezed out by a, a lack of money in the system? I would hope not. In terms of the consumers, there are statistics which would suggest that uh, a lot of the population are in a far stronger financial position at the moment, given the fact that, that, that retailers haven't been open, there isn't the opportunity to, to go out and spend in ways that they have done before, there hasn't been the opportunity to go out and wine and dine and, and, and experience leisure and hospitality. So I think from a consumer's point of view, um, there is a, a pent-up desire to get out to spend um, to go back to habits that were that were in place previously I think in terms of authorities and, and certainly from our point of view the the town centre parish council um, provide a, a fantastic partner to be able to work with um, and, and I think as long as we can forge those early relationships as quickly as possible there's the opportunity for us to work in partnership with them and in, and in harmony with them to be able to support and complement each other um, and, and I think from my point of view the, the biggest thing that's come out of um, Covid from the bids point of view is, is the strength of the partnerships and the collaborations and, and that's never been stronger than what it has done before.
isn't it a little naive to say that people haven't had the opportunity to spend money? If you come in at the bottom of the Grosvenor Centre and walk up either of the corridors where the stores have been shut, they've all said we've had to temporarily close our retail outlets, but we're still available to talk to you via the online opportunity. People have had every opportunity to spend money. Um, I think they have, but what they haven't had is the opportunity to um, to showcase their purchases. Um, and, and although, yeah, you, you're quite right, you can you can walk through the Grosvenor Centre and there is ample opportunity to make click and collect purchases. What there isn't the opportunity for is to go out to wear your new set of trainers or your new jeans or your new dress in an environment other than the sofa in front of the telly. So still the old adage people buy people first holds good definitely just how much planning and what enticements have you been able to put in place for the general public and by extension for your members to give them the best possible restart there, there is a massive amount of planning that has gone into this reopening and and, and obviously we can we can now use the experiences and uh, um, what we've seen in the past and what we can expect in terms of having had the opportunity to reopen in the past and unfortunately we've 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 unfortunately had to close things down again um, concerns at the moment or priorities at the moment are around the evening economy um, that that presents its own challenges um, and it's something that we've not experienced or we've not had the opportunity to reopen at this stage so there, there has been a lot of planning in terms of that um, our focus at the moment is obviously to promote the businesses um, so we will be relaunching the shop local showcase that we we, we delivered over the Christmas period um, the benefit of doing this is twofold really so we want the, we want to make the consumers aware of, of offers and promotions that businesses have got running um, to, to in, in, encourage that consumer return but at the same time what we want to do is manage expectations and also give consumers details of things that businesses are having to do differently um, just to manage this period of time from the 12th of April right through until the 21st in which, in which obviously the expectation is um, that we need to comply with COVID. Um, what we're also doing just to to support the, the, the evening economy um, is, is an adaption really to our shop local showcase. So what we will be doing is just introducing another category there just to simplify it for the public. But what they will be able to do is to find a short list of evening economy venues that are open at this point in time that have got the outdoor space, they've got the capacity to be able to, um, to, be able to serve but it is in one place where, where people can find it. So that will be on the website, discovernorthampton.co.uk, um, and all of the information is there. Mark, as we make our way out of lockdown, and it may well be a couple of months before we can genuinely say we've got to that, Boris Johnson's timescales talk about mid-June. If I asked you to nail your feelings down to one word in terms of what you anticipate Northampton Town Centre to be like once that process that horrific terrible chapter in all our lives has been if not closed then at least partially closed what would that word be for me it would be caution um yes we've got the opportunity to open non-essential retail there is still a, a bigger part of that journey to complete in terms of the roadmap and a full return to normality um in in terms of the bids um 
I suppose me personally, I'm, I'm feeling like a bit of a coiled spring at the moment. Um, and I have done for the last 12 months now. Um, and from the bids point of view, we've, we've dramatically changed the way that we would have traditionally worked. Um, I'm, I'm confident to say that we've stepped up to the plate in terms of the, the period of the pandemic. And we've, we've provided the businesses with the support and the guidance that they've needed um, to be able to, to survive through this period of time. The next phase for us is to, is again to work with the businesses and to support them and hopefully go to a stage where actually they can begin to thrive again in a way that they did do before um, and I'm really looking forward to going back to provide the physical events the physical activities the animation in the streets to be able to see the crowds and, and hear the laughter and, and just get back to normal as, as quickly but as safely as we can. So you're going to miss your cathedral like environment with this lovely echo. I mean you've got to get a choir in here, haven't you? <laughs> I will miss it for some reasons, but I'm looking forward for the escape for the right reasons. <laughs> Good luck for the future. Nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. And hopefully his cathedral for consumers will soon have a bit less of an echo in it as a new tenant sets up shop. That's Mark Mullen from Northampton Town Centre Bid. My final guest this month represents our second startup business of the edition, but that startup has a strong backbone. Serial entrepreneur and founder of the Road Angel car accessory, David Clark began a new retail venture in Angel Electronics just a few months ago. Its current offering is what it describes as a world first, a wireless phone charger which incorporates radiation protection for its users. I met with Managing Director of Angel Electronics Elaine Harris at the company's Silverstone Technology Park premises. Interest in the product has reportedly been strong, but there's a philosophy which drives the business too. I think if you're going to do anything in life, you've got to enjoy it. It's got to be fun. And at the moment, we're having a lot of fun with this. You know, we've been very fortunate. You know, we had a very high profile footballer that's recently come on board as our brand ambassador, Harry Kane. But what, again, we loved about that was that he tried the product and he loved it. How did he get to find out that it existed, though? Because that was going to be my question. What's the route to market? Harry Kane is a very good consumer to use. Yeah. Well, he, um, David has multiple other businesses. I said he's a serial entrepreneur and um, had done business with Harry previously. And uh, like everything, you know, was chatting to him about it. They showed an interest, him and his wife, you know, well, you know, we'd love to try that when it's when it comes out. So we let them try it. And as I said, you know, they loved it. And next thing he's agreeing to help promote it, which has been fantastic. You're talking largely to the Northamptonshire, Bedfordshire, Milton Keynes business community right now. How do you get awareness of Sleep Halo to the general public? What's what's your what's your mechanism? We last week did a big interview with um, the state um, TV in China, which has has gone sort of viral across Asia and and Africa and and, and America. Um, The Sun newspaper picked up on our product as well. So, you know, whilst, yes, we are trying to do some traditional marketing around, you know, the social media, um, you know, we're we're putting adverts in magazines and in in, um, service stations, people are starting to talk about it themselves. Mm. Um, So, yeah, so we initially were planning on focusing purely UK for the first 12 months. That kind of like is changing now because we've now had people from China, Thailand, um, America that have started now buy our products. So it's gaining a momentum all of its own. But if you're going to go Pacific Rim, if you're going to go transatlantic, can you 
ramp up production in High Wycombe or are you going to be looking to sign deals for production perhaps in China because that's really topical right now? Yeah, no, we um, we are very much a UK-based manufacturer of our product. That is a big part of who David was. He did exactly the same thing with his Road Angel product. So that's really, really important to him. Yes, we're able to scale up. That's not an issue. We are already selling on Amazon at the moment as well. We were invited to become one of their vendor central businesses. So that's helped us reach other parts of the world. And we're in discussions with potentially other distributors around the world at the moment that are keen to to take our products. It's crazy. Are you going to be giving away trade secrets if I ask you how it works? Because wireless charging for mobile phones has actually been around for quite a number of years now. And I guess the early adopters will already have wireless chargers for their phones. They're already in cars, for instance. The USB bit is the protection. How does that work? Okay, without going into too much detail, there is a shield. That shield deflects the radiation whilst you're sleeping away from your head. We are not scientists and we are not sitting here and and are saying mobile phones are dangerous in any way, shape or form. But what we will say is that our mobile phone charger has a radiation shield that will deflect the rays while you're sleeping. Yeah, I I, I can't go into too much details because obviously the product's been developed by David and yes... I mean, I'm sure somebody could buy it, take it apart and have a look at how it works. So, Has anybody fed back to you their experience of the product? Has anybody said, actually, no, it doesn't work and I do get headaches? Well, obviously, before we launched the product, um, we had to go through rigorous testing with test houses. Um, and obviously, you, you can't just go around making claims that our product will, will you know, prevent radiation. You just can't do that. So we have all the appropriate paperwork on that and and, and everything Um, in addition we have a full pattern on our product as well worldwide which is really really important you say you've got other products already in the pipeline we have again because our product um, was the world's first I it's I'm not in a position to talk about what other products are in development but there's some really exciting things coming and are those products in related technologies? Because if so, there's there's a credibility within the product yes, range are, rather yes. than you just being a stockist of somebody else's new gadget. Yeah, no, no, it will always be our own our own products, absolutely. Are you looking to go into uh, the retail market through other people? Are, are, are you going to be delivering through Amazon? Is it is it purely something that's coming out of Silverstone now? Well, in, initially, as I said, um, we were very fortunate to be invited to work with Amazon on their vendor programme. Um, and we're very grateful for that because it's given us the opportunity, as I said, to to, to, to sort of reach outside of the UK. But of course, you know, um, we are keen to work with some of the high street retailers as well, you know, such as, you know, Sainsbury's, Argos, places like that, Tesco's. But again, I, I come back to, you know, we, we only sort of set up in January we're now at the end of March and it's kind of just gone crazy so we're we're playing a little bit catch up at the moment trying to catch our breath with what's happened um in loving the ride loving the fact that people love our product that are buying it you can buy it off the website but it seems that that it's quite a, a a tough challenge to actually get into those retail markets you know this is something that I've got to learn how do I go about reaching out to buyers at someone like Argos you know so if any any of the listeners have got any good suggestions I would really really welcome any any help you know my background is transport and banking this is the first time I've actually been involved with bringing a product to market so um it's it's trying to make those connections at the moment we're doing fine as I said you know we've got great sales on Amazon our website is doing great business but yes um any help would be greatly appreciated. Sleep Halo is the first product of many to come from Angel Electronics. Maybe you ought to be calling yourself Guardian Angel Electronics. (laughs) 
We're, we're very proud, actually, of what we've achieved. And as I said, I think sometimes, you know, it is tough at the moment in business for all of us. I'm not going to make light of that at all. You know, it's been a, a tough couple of months. But I think if you, if you have a product that you believe in and that you enjoy what you do and you're doing it for the right reasons, we didn't come in this to make... Yes, of course, we want to make money, but it's not the primary driving factor for why we bought this product to market. And I think that's why it's going to be a success. We're in talks with um, various large corporates about branding the product because the actual product itself it looks great with people, companies branding on it. So, you know, we're in, in talks with a, um, a, a chain for where you give away as part of um, these gift packages that are going out now and corporate presents. So, you know, traditionally it's always like a golf umbrella or a squeezy ball or something. Well, what a great corporate gift to have a, you know, uh, and, and all your branding over it. So there's, there's a lot of opportunities for us. So sounds like good business, which can only develop. If people are interested in perhaps making that corporate connection to you, perhaps through the corporate gift route, how should they do that, Lady? Well, if they, I mean, obviously, have a look on the website, which is www.sleephalo.com, or contact me direct at the office. We're based at the Technology Park at Silverstone. So if you contact me at eh at angelelectronics.com, have a chat with us. We'd love to speak with you. Lainey Harris from Angel Electronics, looking for leads and also new business relationships. We've come to the end of our time together for this month, and with it, my thanks to Mark Mullen of Northampton Bid, Natasha Heron from Hillier Hopkins, Richard Adams from Sharpstone Consulting, and Elaine Harris from Angel Electronics. Thanks for your company for this edition of All Things Business, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Don't forget that there are other editions that you can also listen to via the All Things Business website. I'll be back in a month's time with the May edition. But in the meantime, from everyone on All Things Business, the podcast, thanks for listening.